0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. 17 years ago, my wife, Beth, and I were looking to make a difference in the community, and we could think of no better organization to serve with, to volunteer our times, than those who work with big brothers, big sisters. We had no idea really what they did. We just knew they served kids in the community, and we wanted to become part of not the people saying that it can be better, but the people helping to make it just a little bit fractionally better. And so we went down there, we volunteered our time, and we eventually were connected after a couple of meetings with a little boy who would change our life. His name was Travian House. And the very first time I met Travian, the thing I remember most about him was this big, huge, goofy, joyful grin on his face. It's a grin on his face that never was able to be wiped off that face when he was a 10-year-old child. And we thought we were gonna serve through big brothers, big sisters in order to make a difference in someone else's life. What we found over our eight plus years of being matched with Travian, it was actually John and Beth O'Leary's lives who were profoundly changed and profoundly changed for the better. This little boy showed us what resiliency, he showed us what courage, he showed us what love, he showed us what life, and he showed us what vision really looked like. And we were matched through an organization, but we uh, became a brother to this man. And this man is someone that I now look up to. He's 27 years old. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And with this uprising that is taking place around the United States, with this debate that is finally taking place again around the United States, with the inequalities and with the need for equality that we're talking about in the United States, as I thought through, man, who can I talk to on our podcast that will really shine a light on where it's broken, where it's redeemed, and how we individually how we, you and me, listeners, how we can choose to make a difference. I could think of no individual in our entire Rolodex more qualified than my brother, than my friend, than a man I look up to. His name is Travian House. Travian, my brother, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here.
0: Man, tell me what you remember from the very first time you met some brown-haired girl named Beth and some dark-haired formerly, it's a little bit wider now, named Guy, (laughs) named John. What what do you remember the first time you met John and Beth O'Leary?
1: To be honest with you, when I first met you guys, I said, oh my God, I found somebody like me. And what I meant by that is I found people that were different. And I felt it. That's why the grin was there. That's why the grin is still there, because I felt released. It was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders where I found somebody that, that the connection was so strong and was different, just like me, that we didn't care what people think. We're just us. And just to see and watch you, how you came in with a grin, Beth came in with a grin. I mean, it was just you guys were comfortable with who you were, which made me drop down on a lot of guards because my mother knew that before I even met you guys, my guard was up so much. But the moment I saw you guys, still to this day, she can't even explain what happened on why everything changed right after I met you guys. But it was just the connection that was there. And so that's why I grinned, because I felt the connection before I actually got to know you guys. And I knew I was with the right people.
0: Trey, you had, you had some challenges that you were facing yes. even before we met. Would you just share for our listeners what your life was like as a young 10-year-old boy?
1: I'm very transparent about my story. I grew up, of course, in a single-parent household. My mother, who I love dearly, she was working two to three jobs trying to provide. So, of course, she wasn't at home. I was always either with my aunt or my older brother. And my father at that time, he wasn't around. So it was a little hard for us at that time, you know, trying to make it. um, And being 10 years old, not having your father around. Your brothers were older, didn't want you around, all because you're the baby and stuff like that. Um, You know, I really had no one to talk to. I had no one to turn to. My mother, I could talk to her, but she would be so tired from working, you know, and providing for all of us. I felt alone and I acted out in ways that I shouldn't have. My grades began to decrease. I was making D's and F's before I met John and Beth O'Leary. I was in the principal office every week. Um, I got suspended off the bus for a whole school year. My mom had to take me back and forth. Mm. I mean, it was just a lot that I was going through. All because... I didn't know how to handle my hurt, all because I did not know how to handle and how to channel the hurt. What my acting out did, what my actions did, was simply say what my heart could not muster up to say. Because I was in a place where my words no longer could speak for me. Where my words couldn't put the syllables and the letters together to explain how I was feeling. And the only thing that can do that was my actions. And so people used to tell my mother, "I don't know what it is about him he's so smart. He's uh so handsome. He's great. I just don't know why he keep getting into trouble." But my heart was crying out.
0: Mm. Trey, you shared a quote I've never heard you say before. You're my brother, man, and I've never heard you say this. <laughs> I didn't know how to handle the hurt. What was the hurt that you were feeling?
1: To be honest with you, I was dealing with rejection. I was feeling with being an outcast. Um, I was I was known as the black sheep of, of the family. I grew up. My brothers played sports, talked to girls, you know, all the other stuff. But I, that wasn't me. I wanted to be at home writing music, singing songs, dealing with poetry. You know, um, I was into all that stuff, theatrical things and all of that. And I was the different one out of the bunch. There's six of us total. But I was, the, And I'm the youngest on both ends, but I was the different one out of all the boys. Um, so there was rejection. I felt isolated. I felt like it was just me, and I felt like I had to live up to their standards. It was just a lot, but the core of it was rejection, and I didn't know how
0: to handle that. How did you begin to change the way you're hurt into healing and accept who you were, your uniqueness, your beauty, your difference, instead of being something to run from, something to embrace?
1: What really got me is any any change that happens, and I want people to remember this, any change that happens must first start with you. Michael Jackson had a, a famous song called I'm Looking in the Man in the Mirror. Any change that has to happen, it has to start with you. So the first thing I had to do was recognize that, A, Travion, it's okay to admit that you're hurting. Mm -hmm. Travion, it's okay to admit that you're in pain. And you're experiencing pain that you don't even know how to explain. Mm -hmm. Just like something that goes on in the house, you see a water leakage, but you just don't know where the water's coming from. So I was spewing over. I was leaking water. I was leaking blood, but never knew where the hole was. And so my first step is I had to recognize and admit to myself that, hey, you're not okay. And after I realized that I had to get to the root of the thing and realize why am I not okay? So that's how it all began. My journey to
0: getting to know me. Trey, you mentioned when we first met, you were getting D's and F's, Fs, you were kicked out of the bus. You were in the principal's office as often as you were in the classroom. Uh, Share with our, listeners and viewers. The, the only
1: grade the only grade that i had an am was music
0: well brother That's that we, i may make you prove it here in a moment but before we do oh god <laughs> you, you graduated high school what what were your grades like by the time you graduated high school
1: i actually graduated early i went from making d's and f's to gradually it didn't happen overnight gradually and it all stemmed from knowing that i was loved Hmm. Knowing that I was loved made me want to pursue better. gave gave me something to live for. Um, so I slowly went from uh, D's and F's to C's and D's, and I began to celebrate the little progress that I made. Even though my mom was still upset, even though my father really didn't recognize it, I began to celebrate the little success. And remember, I said I had to celebrate it first, because if you don't celebrate, you nobody else will, because you have to set the standard. So I began to say, well. And my mother always used to crack jokes and say, well, if you got a D, I know you can get a C. If you got a B, I know I can get an A. And I would always tell "I'm like, hey, I had a D, now I got a C. But gradually over time, I went from Ds to Fs to Cs and Bs. And I put myself in summer school, not my mother, because I loved to learn. I knew the work. But with me, it's, I knew the stuff and it was easy. It was nothing to challenge me. And so um, I got called into the principal office one day my junior, at the beginning of my junior year. And they said, Mr. House. I said, yes. They said, do you know why you're in here? I said, no, but I'm assuming I'm in trouble for something. <laughs> and, they started, and they started laughing and said, no, not this time. You've actually been pretty good. I said, okay, what's going on? They said, do you know how many credits you have? I said, no. I said, how many? They said, well, you actually have more than what you need to graduate. And they said, your GPA is good. you made good grades. And you don't have to be here the next semester if you don't want to. And at that moment, before they said anything else, I said, I will take that and I will leave. (laughs) And I told my mom, of course, she was like overwhelmed. She cried. She was excited because, you know, growing up the way that I grew up and I could go in more detail, you know, some people will classify me as the kid with a lost cause. Nothing seemed to work. But the only thing that worked was when I met you guys and the love that I felt that I miss from having my father around, from, miss, from being around people but still feeling left out and single. For me, I'm not having that older brother there that's like, hey, you know you can do better than this, but I love you, though. And stuff like that. I mean, the love changed everything. And the Bible has a quote that says, it's the love that covers a multitude of sin. And I like to translate that into you know, a, a natural saying, that it's lo- love can change things. If somebody knows that you love them no matter what, though you may not agree with what they do, but it's the love that will stem into something better. If there's love and if there's nurture there, even a flower can grow in the
0: desert. Mm. Trey, you, you grew up in an impoverished neighborhood with a mother who, by the way, I love. She's one of my heroes in life. But this woman worked two yeah. or three jobs at a time, she did. gone a lot your father was gone even more because he was never around. And when he said he was coming around, he usually forgot to pick you up, forgot to meet you where he was supposed to get you. And exactly. you and I shared that experience of <laughs> disappointment so frequently. So that that's part of your upbringing. You, you grew up in this impoverished neighborhood. You grew up African-American in this community. What, what was the hardest part of all of that for you as a child?
1: The hardest part for me was growing up and already having a target on my back. I grew up being in the uh, statistics, as a statistic. I didn't grow up um, building myself until that I grew up in that because, A, I was born by a single mother. I was a male, and I was African-American. And, man, when people see us, they see, you know, us living in these these rundown places, and I'm just being transparent, these rundown places and, you know, struggling to pay bills and, and all of the things of that matter. That was my livelihood having to ask to borrow money just to pay this, having to do that and do this. But it was hard for me because I saw where I wanted to go, but the pathway was was so foggy and it seemed impossible to get there. I saw the vision. I I saw the promised land of where I wanted to go, but the path was so foggy because of what was already here before I got here. So I had to break the
0: foundation in order to lay the foundation in my own life. Trevon, you you talked about what was already here before you got here. What was already here before you got here? Talk about that because many of our listeners, many of our viewers come at this situation from their own worldview. And unless you lived in your neighborhood with your mother, with your father, with your brothers, with your neighbors, with that principal that pulled you in and out of class from time to time and kicked you off the bus from time to time. Man, listen, I I love our police officers, but from time to time you're dealing with with challenges from them that I never had to deal with myself and many of our viewers and listeners never had to deal with themselves. What was here before you arrived?
1: The thing that was here was racism, um, for one. But not just racism. At the end of the day, life was here. And I want to clarify that life was here before I got here. What I mean is that there are certain circumstances, whether you're a good person, bad person, white, black, blue, purple or green, you're going to experience. Because it's life. Life has a way of teaching you stuff that going to college will never teach you. And what I mean by racism, is not just a white and black thing. It's not just a a black versus black thing. It's racism all over. It was here. It was here. Me growing up, I always told myself that I wanted to be the one to make a difference. Well then, sometimes people don't even know they're operating in in a racism mindset. And so growing up, my mother always used to give me because she always used to say, you're going around people that don't mean you no good. And I always used to tell her, like, mom, they need love, too. Hmm. And she never understood it. She said, I don't understand why you have such a big heart. I said, mom, but they need love, too. They need love, too. And I said all of that to say that though racism was here, though we dealt with racism, um, I've even watched. I wasn't born into racism, but I've watched um, a lady walk across the street just because me and my grandmother was walking by. That was my first time ever experiencing it myself. And I said, Grandma, what was that about? And this was around, around about, I was about like 12 or 13. I said, what was this about, Grandma? Why did she rush across the street like we were going to hurt her? And she said, baby, she said, you wouldn't understand. Hmm. She said, but racism still exists. And that was the first time I've ever experienced it with my own eyes. My own eyes. That some people, racism is still here in the world, but it's the mindset of a matter. Because at the end of the day, I don't I don't look at you as you being white, me being black,
0: them being Asian.
1: Those people are being Chinese. We're all one family. We're all one family just made in a different way. And we all can stem and feed off one another. But we have to change our mindset to get that. Though slavery was here, we don't have to operate in it today. Though racism was here, we don't have to respond in it the same way that we did back then. You know, growing up, my mother always used to say, why do you always forgive people that hurt you? Why do you always run back to people that, you know, do you wrong? And I had to tell her, I said, Mom, I said, I just can't give up on them. Mm. And she used to tell me, she said, your heart is going to get you in trouble one day, son. And I said, Mom, I just can't give up on them. I said, because what if somebody gave up on me? And I used to tell her about, you know, I said, you remember John and them? I said, you know, I used to have bad grades, but they never gave up on me. They were always there, regardless of what everybody thought. And it goes back to love sometimes people just need to know hey i love you Mm. i know what happened with our forefathers your forefathers that's not us yes if they went through it we're the product of it but we don't have to operate in the same footsteps as them we can be the one to change this only if we want it and if we switch our mindset
0: trey you Shared the story of when you were 12 or 13, walking with Grandma down the street, and a, a lady crossed the street to get away from you. And from all of my African American friends, they've shared a similar story repeatedly. Apparently, it's something I've never had to deal with, but apparently, you have on numerous accounts. The only time I've had something even similar to that was when I was about 12 or 13 years old in a church. It was time for us to give peace to the people around us. It's when you shake their hand. And for the um, listeners who have never met me, I'm a guy that has no fingers. I was burned at age nine, but I I turned around to give this guy, he was probably 6'2", I remember his face perfectly, 6'2", beard, brown, sandy hair. He reached out his hand, I reached out mine, he saw mine, he pulled away, he turned away, and he acted as if he never saw me. And I'm 12 years old in church, and I still remember his face, I still remember that glance toward me, toward my hand, then away from me, away from my hand. And it broke me, man, as a kid. Yeah. And if you could, hey, dude, I'm 30 years past that and I still remember it. So apparently it made yeah. a mark on me. Yeah. I'm not over it, in other words. When yeah. you deal with racism, when you're having one of those days, whether it's a lady crossing the street to get away from you, uh, sirens behind you again, and when it's not your fault, whatever it might be, what do you personally do to pull yourself out of that fog of despair and just broken in sadness?
1: To be honest, John, it. It it was hard for me to pull myself out out of depression because I struggled with that and out of sadness um, and out of feeling left left protected. Um, I was unprotected from a lot. But what helped me pull myself out of that is, once again, knowing that I was loved. But what really got me out of it is me loving myself, me looking in the mirror every day and say, hey, God made you different for a reason. You're different. And only different people can make a change. Mm. Only people that are different can bring about a movement that's never been here before.
0: Amen.
1: So sometimes the greatest people who deal with the most obstacles of embracing themselves are the ones that God wants to use on not just a spiritual level, but on a natural level to make an impact in the world. Because you have to be different to plant different.
0: I'm glad you talked about planting. Let's talk about planting for a moment, man. I was... You know, I follow only people I love and respect online. One of them is named Travian House. He's my little brother, although I look up to him. And one of the things you said today, Trey, was this. You must respond well because your response will bring forth fruit. Choose wisely. Yes. Tell yes. me what that means. You must respond well.
1: Yes. Well, what that means is it, it came, once again, out of my own perspective and out of my own process. Um, and because I did not know how to handle my own hurt, I reacted in ways that I shouldn't have reacted. I did things that I shouldn't have done, even from a younger age, all because I did not, not know how to handle my hurt. But it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to say I'm in pain and don't know how to get over it. But it's all in your response. So what I mean by when I say respond well, because your response will bear fruit, what I mean is life is going to happen whether we like it or not you're gonna be disappointed, things are gonna happen, but it's how you respond that's gonna bring about a greater a greater result. So if you're hurting and you're lashing out back at somebody that hurts you and now you're hurting them, what's gonna happen is nobody's gonna know who started the fight. One thing my grandmother used to tell me is this she simply said, if you're arguing with a fool, you and a fool are arguing. You nobody will know who the fool is. <laughs> because why? Both of you are arguing, both of you are yelling Both of you are screaming. So your response shows what? Your maturity. And sometimes the best response is no response. And I had to learn that myself because what I sold in a matter or in a situation will determine an outcome. You know, I've been fired from a job before. If I went to my job that fired me and cussed them out and, you know, done stuff that I shouldn't have done, Years down the line, they called me back and offered me more money. Why? Because I responded well to a matter. I responded well to a matter. When I left, I was upset, but I held my tongue. Mm. Because I had to realize me hurting them, just like they hurt me, won't do anything but keep a cycle going. And what I want to do in this season of my life and everybody that's connected to me is when you see bad seeds, bad soil, plant good seeds.
0: So listen, uh, brother, there's quite a bit of bad soil in the marketplace, uh, always, but, but over the last couple of days and weeks, we've seen it uh, begin bearing some fruit. So when you see bad soil, plant good fruit, what does that mean to you?
1: In other words, when you see bad things are happening, plant good fruit in it, plant a good seed in it. And what I mean by that, when things are happening that's out of our control, that we may not like, that you may not like, that's causing you pain, that's causing you hurt, find a way to turn that thing around. Because one thing I used to tell my team is that there's two things you can't control. It's the uncontrollable and the controllable. If you can control it, change it. If you can't control it, find a way to get around it. And that's one of the things that we have to understand because I myself had experienced pain. I have experienced hurt. But what I did in the midst of that, to somebody I wanted to hate, I showed love. To somebody I wanted to just just fight, what I did was I began to show love. And so what I mean by in bad soil, we must sow good seeds, which means stop the cycle.
0: So, man, Let's talk about the cycle for a moment. It, it again revealed itself in painful realities with the murder of George Floyd. Yes. When you saw that video and heard the reports, tell me what you're feeling.
1: To be honest, I was shaken. My heart was beating fast because once again, Seeing that it's 2020 and stuff like that still is going on by people that we thought is, are here to protect us. And just to see a man saying that he can't breathe and there's nobody there to help. I took it personally because not naturally, but spiritually, I was in a place where I was doing the same thing. Where I was saying, help, I can't breathe. I lost my identity. Help, I can't breathe. So I knew what it meant to lose your breath, but on a different level. I knew what it meant to be faced with an obstacle that was weighing you down so much to the point all you can do is cry to the point. All you can do is try to gasp for air because if it wasn't one thing, it was another. So when he, he was crying out for help, saying, I can't breathe, it hit me personally. And I cried because I was there, but in a different scenario. So when I saw the video, I shook my head and I had to put the phone down and I began to pray honestly. And I said, Lord, I can be angry and I do have a right to be. I can, D- uh, dwell in my anger, operate in my anger, or what I can do is plant good seed and pray for that man. Because one thing I've learned in my spiritual walk is that every action was birthed from a seed sown. And it all starts with the seed. So my issue, when I saw that, I was angry, but yet my heart went out for that police officer.
0: When you say, uh, I prayed for that man, I just assumed you meant George. You, no. You, you meant you were praying for the police officer and, and the, the folks yeah. around him. Why?
1: I pray for him because one thing you have to realize, actions are only birthed from a seed. Hurt people hurt people. Heal people heal people. So something was going on in that man, and I, I know it for a fact, that something there that he hadn't got quite healing from or a light bulb hadn't went off yet. And so my heart began to go out to him and say, Lord, heal him from his anger, heal him from whatever it is that's going on to his mindset to let him think that this is okay. I was crying out for him because in his actions, I've seen that he need help. Yes, I'm sad about George. Yes, I'm sad that his family has to go through that. But in order to stop the cycle, we have to deal with the one that's doing the action. And that's that man. And to this day, I can stand here and say, I don't know him, but I love him and I want the best for him. Just like I would want for George and his family. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that the actions, was birthed from a seed. And in order to see change, we have to find the seed of every situation. And what I mean by see, we have to find the start of it. Where did this begin in you? Where did this hatred come from? And if we can get down to the root and matter of that, then we can begin to start construction and breaking up foundation and rebuilding one that's full of color, full of unity, full of peace. But everything starts with the seed.
0: Well, I've always told you that uh, you remind me of a guy I have hanging up on my wall. His name is Martin Luther King Jr. And your eloquence and your faithfulness and your vibrancy and in your intelligence, you're just, you're, you're an amazing, amazing young man, Travian. I can't believe I have the honor of being your brother, man. So uh, I'm, I've always meant that and I continue to mean it. You're talking about seeds and you're talking about breaking this up so that we can birth a, a, a new world with all the colors. Give me some practical steps. John, give John O'Leary something that I can do. And for all of our listeners right now, regardless of their color, regardless of their privilege or lack thereof, regardless of the resources or lack thereof, regardless of their life experience, how, how can we begin birthing something far better than what, what we're currently experiencing?
1: By simply understanding. Nothing starts without being understood. A relationship cannot go on without understanding. And what I mean by that is if we understand each other's hurt, we can move forward in a better direction. Because though we can say woe is the African-American culture, everybody had a struggle that they had to deal with. The whites, blacks, Asians, Chinese, everybody was characterized and stigmatized at some point in life. Every race was. So if we understand the cultural hurt, Then we will know the do's and don'ts, what not to step on, what's a sensitive matter, and we will begin to operate. But it all starts off with communication and understanding. That's the goal and foundation of every relationship, whether it's in marriage, boyfriend, and girlfriend, or family. There must be understanding and communication. And why must it be communication? Because the understanding can change over the years. What affected me back then may not affect me now. Well, back then, you you, you was okay with this, but now I'm not. So that's always there There always must be a consistent flow of communication and understanding, because without understanding, there can't be any unity. At the end of the day, I have the greatest brother. And he wasn't born for my mother. And his name is John O'Leary. And at the end of the day, it's okay that I can say I have a brother that's not African American, and I love him just as much as I would anybody else that's related to me all because of the understanding. Mm. Everybody has a hurt, but in order to move forward, we must understand the hurt. That's why a lot of people commit suicide because nobody understood their hurt. They were hurting on the inside and it was never recognized.
0: A lot of folks right now are, and I don't want this to go political, I'll just call out the facts, right. saying the change uh-huh. needs to be made in the White House immediately. And others are saying, wow, what a phenomenal job our president is currently doing leading us through this crisis. Regardless of people's opinion, what I will say is this. Great change, in my mind, does not happen up there. It happens one-to-one, man. It is, it's reaching across the aisle. It's loving the one in front of you. And I think what changed my life, perhaps as much as anything else, is, is reaching out to big brothers, big sisters, going down there with my wife at the time, having no clue who this little boy was, what color skin he might have, what his background might be, and having this little bright-eyed 10-year-old come off the elevator named Travion. And then hanging yeah. out for the next eight years and now for the last decade and a half, getting to know a human being and loving him. And I, I, I think for many folks right now wondering, well, how can I possibly begin communicating with people? I don't understand. I don't even know those people. Get to know them. Get to know yeah. them. Reach across the aisle. You'll, you'll realize okay. they're not as foolish as you once thought. You'll realize it's not them against us. It's we. And so I, I can yeah. think of no greater change organization than Big Brothers Big Sisters. There's a plug for them again. but. What advice might you have for someone to take a specific next step in order that they might reach across the aisle, they might reach across from their own background to meet someone from a very different background?
1: Once again, go out. I believe in fellowshipping. I believe in spending time to get to know other people. This country is not just built off of one person. Some people may say it's built off of off the blacks um, or African-Americans because of slavery and everything of that matter. But at the end of the day, we all make up this world. We, we all make up this world, and we have to understand that that the way it started doesn't always have to be the way that it ends, and it doesn't have to be that it is the way it's now. Mm-hmm. So what I would suggest is get to know the people. If you want to have peace, show unity. If you want change, show unity. That's why anytime I see a police officer, I would always tell them, hey, would you like a drink today? How's your day going? I appreciate your work. And start up a conversation because you never know what's going through people's minds. Some people don't get one thing out of a day. They don't hear, hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, I thank you for your work. They don't get that. And sometimes going unrecognized will build up bitterness and it will build up anger. So I would say just take out the time to care for somebody that you normally wouldn't care for. And the, the Bible speaks about that. He say, well, what reward is it for you to love somebody that loves you? What reward is it? The reward comes when you can love somebody who doesn't always have the best view of you or your kind in their head, or they wasn't raised that way. Hmm. But the challenge comes in that if we want to see change is loving people who don't understand us.
0: One of my favorite memories with you, and you know, we, we hung out a couple times a month for 10 years. So we, we had yes. quite, a, quite a few experiences together. But one of them is a family party that we had at my house. Your your favorite lady, Susan O'Leary, was there. That's my mom and Denny and my entire family. All my brothers, sisters, everybody was there. And I barely saw you, man, because you were just running around with with my nephews and nieces. But there came a point where you got lost. And uh, one of the little girls you were playing hide and seek came looking for you. You know, I'm O'Leary, I'm a very Anglo-Saxon Irish family. So every, everybody is lily white, man. And so I say, she comes up to me and she goes, where's that one guy, the new guy? And I said, well, what does he look like? You know, just trying to like figure out what what is she going to say here? What does he look like? And she goes, oh, he had a red shirt on and happy eyes. (laughs) Here's a little girl named Catherine Jorisi who lives now in Austin, Texas, playing hide-and-seek with a new little guy she'd never met before, who chooses not to see the freaking color of skin on his hands or arms or face, but chose to remember that red shirt and those happy eyes. And man, I just got to praise you for those happy eyes, for the joy that you've always, always, always had on you. Uh, it, It encouraged me when you were 10. It encouraged me when you graduated from high school at 17 and a half. It encouraged me when he graduated from Big Brothers and Big Sisters at 18. And now today, man, to see this gentleman in front of me who is leading people forward, bringing about unity. It's so inspiring. So, brother, we have seven questions that we walk everybody through at the end of our podcast. And and I've had on great authors. I've had on great leaders and uh, astronauts. You, You name them. They've been on our show. I can't think of anybody more qualified to teach us about living well to teach us about living inspired than you. So, Travian House, seven questions. Number one, what is the best book you have ever read?
1: The best book I've ever read. That's hard because I have to. I do have to, honestly. Of course, I would say the Bible, of course, but that's just me. But one of the best books that I've read that actually got me through a lot was a book called The Overwhelming (laughs) Odds.
0: What a shameless plug. (laughs)
1: No. <laughs> i'm being serious because I, I love adversity i love people who have been through challenges because people who face obstacles are the ones that are qualified to lead hmm. and that's what we forget that's what we forget that you have to go through in order to
0: lead my friends Travian's using a, a book that was written 17 18 years ago the authors of the book are susan and denny o'leary and if you've never checked out the book, Overwhelming Odds, visit our website. And if you financially are unable to afford it, you let me know, because I'll make sure I get you one in the mail anyway. So I, 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 do, I love that book. It changed my life to trade me on. And I think other folks will really enjoy the book, Overwhelming Odds. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Question number two, what's one yeah. positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a little child that oh, you I wish God. you exhibited as brilliantly today?
1: I would say just looking past stuff. Um, as as a kid, you know, stuff would happen and I wouldn't think too much of it. You know, I'm like, okay, yeah, it hurt, but I forgive you. But as I got older, you know, your eyes are more open to things. Though people see the smile, some some days the smile wasn't always there. They see the the joy is to the point where I grinned. You barely could see my eyes. Sometimes the smile wasn't there; it was tears. Mm. Looking back on it now, and I wish, I wish my joy, at one point, because it was tainted by so much hurt. If I can just get back there, like to to the to the little kid who just didn't care about anything anymore, that, you know, but due to life, life develops you, it changes you. And I still have that kid in me, but I wish that I can be in a world that can just show everybody that kid again. But now in the, the world that we live in, now you have to be careful where you show that kid at and all stuff like that because you always can be the kid in every situation, you know? Mm. Somebody has to put on the... The big draws and to have serious face and do what needs to be done
0: that person's That's usually not you man because that smile and those uh, squinted eyes are almost always on the face that i know and love question number three is if your apartment your home your condo caught fire and all living things people family animals they're all out they're all safe and you had an opportunity Trey, to run in and grab one thing what one thing would you grab first
1: i would say i will grab my daughter but If I may explain on that, I would grab her first, but I would do it strategically. Sometimes in saving one, you can save all. And what I mean by that is you have to use wisdom in what you're doing. In the crisis, you use wisdom. I will grab her by the hand, but tell everybody to grab each other's hand and connect each other, so when I'm pulling one out, everybody else has to come out.
0: (laughs) Perfect, man. Just a few more questions, Trey. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach on a perfect day and have a long conversation with anybody, anybody, living or dead, who would you want to have a nice, long, honest conversation with?
1: I would have to say my first lady who passed away uh, uh, years ago from the church I was brought up in. She had passed away. She was like a mother to me. She actually came to me in my dream the night before she passed away and told me she was leaving. Wow. Experience I'll never forget. And I cried so hard. I woke up and I was talking to the, her husband, which was the bishop. And I was like, hey, how are you? I was like, I was just calling to see how she's doing. And in that moment, he said, hold on. The doctors are calling me. It's an emergency. Oh, she had left a moment. And I just wish I could just sit down and talk to her because she gave me so much wisdom and forewarned me about a lot of stuff that was coming up the road. Yeah. What was her name, Trey? Lucille Brown.
0: Lucille Brown. Trey, man, what's the best advice, that whether it's Lucille Brown or anyone else ever gave you?
1: To be honest with you, the best advice is one that I got when I first came to Atlanta about five years ago is to release it and let go release it and let go because I came Atlanta you know looking for myself and you know doing ministry and things but I was still carrying around baggage yeah. baggage that I didn't know was there and that was the hurt and sometimes the best advice is the ones you really don't want to hear
0: Trivian, what would you tell your 20 year old self looking way back uh, at that 20 year old young man what advice would you give yourself at age 20
1: I would warn myself of stuff that was coming up the road to prepare myself a little bit better, but it's like some stuff in life you just can't prepare for. But I would tell in some areas, I would tell myself to slow down or not to do this or not to do that. And in other areas, I would tell myself to speed up. Hmm. So in other words, I would tell myself to pace myself
0: in all areas. Trey, it has been said that all great people and little brothers can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? a process worth going through. Draven, you are indeed a process worth going through. And man, for me to see the seed that you are, the fruit that you are bearing, the lives that you are changing, including John and Beth Eries and our family and my mother and my father, our children now. We're active again with another little brother and it's unfair to compare brothers because everybody's different, but man, you've blessed us mightily and uh, this time that you share with our community means more to me than you know. So thank you for, uh, for sharing your light and your love and your forgiveness with our friends. No problem at all. And final yeah. thing, man, I told you I might put you on the spot. Here it is. Sometimes we have musician, mu- musicians take us to the finish line with a yeah. little bit of a song. So, man, as we get ready to wrap up, I'm wondering if you might uh, like to take us to the commercial break with a little Trevian house.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> In the time that we're living in right now, um, there's a gospel song that got me through a lot, and the song just simply says, I need you, you need me, we're all a part of God's body, stand with me, agree with me, we're all a part of God's
0: body. Could there be a better time for us to not only sing those words, hear them, but live them. My friends, you are listening to the voice and the heart of my little brother and my friend, and a guy I look up to, his name is Trevion House. My name is John O'Leary. And for a country that is divided, maybe this is our time to realize we are all one body. For this time and until next time, make a difference. Reach across the aisle to your brothers and sisters and live inspired.